0: Welcome to Well Connected, a podcast for faculty, staff, residents, and fellows of UT Health Houston, brought to you by the UT Health Employee Assistance and Wellbeing Programs Office. I'm Julie Van Orden.
1: And I'm Anna Alvarado. The goal of Well Connected is to create opportunities for employees to connect the dots between three things, what's going on in our head and our heart, how these thoughts and feelings affect our well being and where we can find resources through the university to work toward a resolution.
0: Our guest today is Newton Chang. Newton is a husband and father, competitive power lifter, and is director of health and performance at Google. He spent his 14-year career at Google developing, launching, and scaling global programs aimed at helping Googlers to thrive. Today, he oversees a global portfolio of Google's physical and digital health and well-being amenities. As a powerlifter, Newton has set multiple world, U.S., and California state records and is a world and four-time U.S. national champion. He takes a special interest in the intersections of human performance and spirituality and is an advocate for speaking vulnerably about mental health. Newton earned a B.S. in electrical engineering from University of Illinois Urban Champaign. Urbana-Champaign, and an MBA from University of California, Berkeley. Joining us today to inspire us with his mental health journey and to share his insights is Newton Chang. Welcome, Newton.
2: JULIE, ANNA, very excited to be here.
0: OK, I'm going to start off. First of all, Newton, I met you in a conference in September at a breakout session that I attended that you were in, and we connected on LinkedIn. I was really moved by the story you shared in our breakout session and I thought our listeners would really benefit from hearing from you. Can we really start at the beginning of your wellness journey and what that was, how that came about?
2: Yeah, I'll start. So I'll start at the beginning of the pandemic. I think my, my wellness journey has evolved. I've been into the field of health and well-being since pretty early in life. But in the last two years, it's really, really evolved. And that has a lot to do with what I experienced during the pandemic, as well as the challenges I experienced as a leader and husband and father. So if you think back to March 2020, the very beginning of the pandemic, everything suddenly just gets turned on its, on its head. We were all sent home. We were physically isolated. And then there was this virus, COVID, and none of us really knew much about it, but we were all pretty scared. And I was taught that in times of crisis like this, that's when you show up and you lean in and you lead. And so that's what I tried to do and that's what I had my organization do. So my organization delivers uh, our health and performance programs to our employees. And these can be fitness and movement programs, mindfulness programs, recovery programs. We do those on site via our physical spaces. When the pandemic happened, we overnight pivoted everything to digital so that we could reach people in their homes. Uh, We leaned in to help out more across the organization as more opportunities to just contribute popped up. And then we spent more and more time checking in with each other because it felt like the right thing to do. Now, we were driving really hard. And then in summer of 2020, that's when the first red flag started to appear. And I was in a meeting with my vice president and all of his direct reports. And we were going around the screen and doing these check-ins, how are you doing? And for whatever reason, when it got to me, I I felt this moment of openness and I started to cry. And I said, right now, I'm ashamed of how I'm showing up as a husband and father, and I don't know how to turn that around. And this was the first time I had ever cried in front of my coworkers. Now, fast forward to fall 2020, um, I took on more responsibilities, even though I was overwhelmed, Um, because it felt like the right thing to do. And then around November 2020 is when I first started to just struggle to get out of bed. February 2021, that was the first time there was a morning where I physically couldn't get out of bed because I was just overwhelmed with dread. By April 2021, I was seeing the employee assistance provider, and he told me that I was exhibiting early signs of burnout. In fall 2021... That's when I found a new therapist, and that therapist said I was exhibiting major symptoms of depression and anxiety. And up until then, I had no previous diagnosis of struggles with mental health. Now, November 2021, there were two interesting things happening. One, my therapist diagnosed me with what he called high-functioning depression. And what that looked like was at the same time when I was at my Deepest struggles with depression and anxiety, that's when I won my first world championship in powerlifting, because that's what I was raised to do. It didn't matter how you felt you got the job done. And so I got the job done. Now the next week, I was supposed to give a keynote at a health and well-being conference run internal to Google, and I was going to talk about all the amazing opportunities between uh, Google technology and health and well-being and all the awesome stuff we were doing to support our employees throughout the pandemic. And that felt completely inauthentic because I knew how much I was struggling with depression, and anxiety, and I knew how many others were also struggling. So I threw out that keynote. I wrote up a new one where I was sharing that I have been struggling with depression, and anxiety for a while now. Um, I was feeling burnt out and I was likely to go on leave. And um, then I typed up the whole thing, knowing that this was going to be recorded and I sent it to my boss. I sent it to my team. I sent it to my peers. And I said, hey, I'm about to give this keynote. I know it's going to be recorded, so I want you to hear it from me first. And then two months later, January 18, 2022, I went on mental health leave. And I was, at that point, I was really at my lowest. I was struggling with feelings of shame, guilt. Um, I felt weak. Like, this is not how I was raised. I was I was raised that I was supposed to power through this, and I couldn't do it. And then I felt just completely lost because I I have all the expertise. Like, I know all the things I'm supposed to be doing. And no matter what I did, I wasn't getting better. So I'll pause there. That was my journey to mental health leave.
0: Wow. <laughs> so... I had no idea it was that long. That was actually one of the questions that we wanted to ask you is, did this creep up on you or was there a trigger point? And it sounds like it started to build.
2: Yeah, so I'll offer two perspectives. Like one one narrative I have is that it started with the pandemic and all Mm -hmm. of the volatility of the last two years. And some of the trigger points, I think one was, when I started crying during that meeting, like that mm-hmm. felt so alien to me. I'm like, "This is this is not who I am. Where did that come from?" And so that's a huge, huge red flag. Another, and you know, if I if I go one layer down to say, like, I was ashamed of how I was showing up as a husband and father. Um, at the time, my daughter was she was three at the beginning of the pandemic. She was four by the time I went on leave. Um, if you have a young child, you know they're People like to say they're they're perfect and they're angels. I'm like, well, my daughter's kind of can be like, you know, a handful and uh, she uh, she's all energy. She's all joy. And so in that way, she's perfect. Like she is perfect human joy and energy. And I remember there was one day I, I was probably multitasking on my phone. I was probably living in my head of all the stuff I had to do. And she was, you know, pulling at me and trying to get my attention and I snapped at her and she started crying. And I realized like this kid, this, this child loves me. She wants my attention. And I'm living in my email inbox right now. And I missed that. And not only did I miss that, I reacted in anger. And <laughs> I knew if I didn't do something that was just gonna happen over and over. And she deserves better.
1: Ah, uh, I'm tearing up just hearing <clears throat> that story specifically with um, your child, because it just reminds me of um, my own struggles. But first of all, I just want to thank you for being so brave and courageous and sharing your story. But it just reminds me of the time where I kind of pinpointed, oh, wait, maybe I I need help because I was going through um, postpartum anxiety, did not know it. Um, I share the story with Julie that, you know, I was just giving the kids a bath and I don't even remember what it was. I snapped in this mom rage. I don't even want to call it mom rage. My rage just kind of came out and I was screaming and yelling and crying at the same time. And my husband came in and he never engages um when that happens or back then he kind of really knew that I needed some help too. So he was not engaging and I just kind of calmed down. But the next day I was changing my baby's diaper and um, my one and a half year old, um, no, he was probably already almost two at that point. He hugged my leg that morning and he said, he looked at me and he said, mommy's mad. Mommy's sad. Mommy's crying. And that's when I like, fell to my knees I looked at him and I realized this little human is absorbing what is going on in this house and I don't even realize it he knows what's going on and that's when it clicked in my head I need help and so I just went got down on my knees and I told him I'm so sorry did that scare you and all he said was mommy's sad mommy's crying he repeated that and I could not stop crying so I feel you um when it comes to our kids it's it's definitely a a punch in the gut you know you don't realize everything we just go through the motions of life and these little humans are absorbing all of that so it's just a little
2: yeah it's it's such a there's this amazing mirror like all the good, all the you know I don't want to call it bad, but all the things we we might want to be different about ourselves, it all reflects back and you see it bounce off um, you know you see it filtered through this person where you want everything perfect for them and that it's an impossible task. Um, but it comes back amplified through this you know amazing human being and it's it's a really difficult journey. I, I think one of the things for me that, um, you know, I said I thought this started at the beginning of the pandemic, but when my therapist in the fall of 2021 said, um, "You're showing major symptoms of depression and anxiety," I thought, "Like what? What are you talking about?" And I said, "Isn't this just what it feels like to work hard?" And he said, "Yes, and it's also depression and anxiety." And so my aha there was this was not the first time I had felt like this as a parent, as a husband, or even just in life. And so that's where, as I went on to leave, I had to really start to unwind many, many layers of like, okay, what is my narrative about myself? What did I learn from childhood from my parents about who I am and how I should show up? And how is that informing how I show up as a husband and father and a leader in both good ways and in ways that I didn't want to do anymore?
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, You know, I I think about you asking, I mean, sharing with your supervisors. Um, I think about you um, sharing with your team this. So... Uh, psychologically how anguishing or just maybe don't want to put a label on it for you, but how, how was that?
2: I think by the time I was ready to share, it was kind of like a dam broke and I didn't, I didn't have a choice anymore because what was at stake? I wasn't thinking. uh, I mean, I was thinking about my job, but I was thinking much more about my daughter and my partner. (sighs) And now if I wind it back, knowing that now being aware of what depression and anxiety felt like, and this kind of increasing feeling of burnout, I probably could have dialed it back to definitely the beginning of the pandemic, maybe before, and seen there was probably some things I could have started sharing at work years ago. And I suppressed it because then I I don't know why my stakes weren't raised as high. Uh, Maybe I wasn't, I wasn't cracking the same way I was. So instead I was telling myself this narrative of like, no, you're fine. Suck it up. Keep going.
1: Right. Right. Well, what was the reaction from your team, your, your colleagues? Once you, you shared that keynote and just poured your heart out and let them know what you were going through.
2: So there, there was a variety. I think Uh there were some who already knew because I had started to discuss with them um, ahead of time. One other red flag that came up was I would meet with my team or or members of my team one-on-one and the number of people who they would kind of pull the handbrake before we get started and they'd ask like in a very open, heartfelt way, hey, are you doing okay? Like I thought I was coming across as exactly the same as I always had. And I clearly wasn't like they, with, from their external point of view, they saw something. And so, you know, I think I probably went through several weeks of saying like, no, I'm good. You know, it's just a busy time. And then eventually I started opening up. So I think there's, there's those two groups, those who I'd already talked to those who were drawing it out of me. And then there's a whole segment of people who they said, Hey, I had no idea. Like, uh, One, one of my friends, he's actually been my mentor for years. And when he saw that I had started sharing about my mental health for him, his mind was blown. He was like, what, you had it all together. You were doing all these things. And I would always say like, who is this guy? How is he doing all this stuff? And it all makes sense now. And my assumption was he could see the steam shooting out of my ears the entire time because I I think the way that I hide things, it's so automatic that I don't think I'm doing it.
0: Right. You know, you talk about it was fascinating that you said that how you dealt with it initially was just to do better, I mean, you're in the middle of this, starting to recognize, and then you win a powerlifting championship. You know, your first world championship, and so that is uh, something about the pressure that you put yourself under, right? And I'm not going to say that you're alone because I'm, I'm a little bit put together in that way that I dig in harder because I'm like, I could, I can get pushed through this. I can do this. And, yeah. uh,
2: so there was a period back in late 2020, early 2021, where if, if I break out my planner from that period, I had atomized my day into 15 minute chunks oh
1: and my. I'd have to map
2: out exactly what I was going to do for those. And then I'd have to put meditation breaks in between to just keep my mind in the right place. And so I could do that for a few months where I said, like, you know what, like, let's just get hyper organized and integrate the health and well-being behaviors into the plan. But it all turned into work. It, it just sped up the treadmill. Wow. And it, it, you know, so that that's where my realization was, you can't just... Do all the health and well being behaviors. Sometimes the answer is you just need space in your life.
0: Yeah. You know, you both, I mean, I kind of part of the answer I say when I say you both, I talked about Anna here. Um, you mentioned going to EAP right away. And I do want to, I mean, I have to highlight that. And I know that uh, that's what Anna did. And I know that's what I did, but I, we, Anna and I work with EAP. So we know about it. We know that it's available. We know the resource that it provides. It's an amazing resource. Did you already know about it because you were a director or how did, how did you know to, to start there? And was it enough for you?
2: So I, I did know about it because I worked with the people who initially implemented the EAP, EAP program at Google years ago. I also, I think, culturally, it's probably been a good, solid ten plus years where the Google community has been trying to destigmatize mental health. So we actually have an internal mental health conference that's run grassroots by the employees, wow. with sponsorship from the executives. And they didn't start there; they earned all that sponsorship. So kudos to them because uh, they were putting this topic on the table for a solid decade before I had to use the EAP. And we had leaders all the way up to vice presidents coming out with their stories about struggles with depression. So, for example, the morning where I couldn't get out of bed in uh, February 2021, the first thing that popped up was a story from one of our VPs where he had described he was struggling with depression. And one morning he couldn't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And that was my aha of like, oh, we talked about this. Like, this is what this is. I know what the next steps are because I heard this story. And so that that story, it took 10 years for it to really, really matter to me. Um, but it was there, right time, right place when I needed it.
0: I love that you say that, that, you know, it happened 10 years before. Nothing goes on, on wasted. Every moment has its time in your play in your life and it'll pay off. So I, you know, I love that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um so it's so important for, for, for all of us to, to share our story and share our struggles because you're, you're helping someone else out there. So you were talking about um, not being able to get out of bed. Um, were there any other signs and symptoms you were experiencing for those that may be listening and are trying to do a self-check and pinpoint these symptoms for themselves?
2: I'll name a few things. One was the general irritability Mm -hmm. and the hard thing to admit is me being a professional, I tried to hide that at work. So few people had to experience the irritability at work, but that means it showed up with my family. Um, And when I say that out loud, that is the exact reverse of how I want my priorities laid out. And so I think there you know, that, that was another red flag. It was like, it just became increasingly clear. I was out of integrity with my priorities and my values. So that was one thing, irritability. Another was anxious thoughts, keeping me from being able to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. So there was a period where I'm a pretty chill guy, but my head would be so full of racing thoughts that I would put in my earbuds I would lay down and I would play the same headspace track um, every single night and just start doing a guided meditation, knowing that if I followed that, my, my brain would clear and then I would fall asleep. So I needed to do guided meditation every night just to so, to stop the racing thoughts, not not as like a health and well-being practice. That was another thing. Um, the other thing, I think early in the pandemic, if i'm if I'm frank. Uh, my alcohol consumption increased. Um, it, I don't think it it never got like to a point where I feared I was, you know, becoming an alcoholic. But it was it became clear I was using it as a coping mechanism, like I can take the edge off. Um, mm. And uh, eventually, you know, it became clear, like, okay, you you know why you're you're grabbing this drink? Like, this is not social. Like, you right, to slow down. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's interesting um, for me, I, I, you hit on a couple of keywords and a couple of concepts I really wanted to talk about, and and one is you talked about irritability, and, and you mentioned the crying and the alcohol, but I, for me, the first thing for me is usually the crying, and so um, I, about this time, it was a little bit earlier, about a little over a year ago, I went in, I was changing healthcare providers, Uh, I wanted to, I I just wasn't comfortable with the one that I had, she didn't seem to remember that she was the one who, she's asking me questions about stuff that I'm like, you're the one who did that, don't you see it in your chart, and so I was like, I need a different healthcare provider that I feel a little bit more confidence in, so I did some research, and I found this healthcare provider, okay, I'm going to go in and meet with him, and Um, I had already started to feel like I needed to talk to someone and I'm in the EAP. So I contacted, um, it's all, you know, confidential, even internally, like nobody knew. So I had, I went to our front desk. I went to a trusted person that's there. Um, She got me connected with a list of providers. I called a provider and I got on the list because, you know, it's been so hard to get in with providers, especially as a new patient. And so while I was on that, I comes up for my my doctor's appointment and I go in and I'm waiting for him. And he comes in and he's said he looking at the chart and he's like, so why are you here? And because I, you know, it's a transfer. I don't think he knew. Why do you want to know? I don't know who you are. And you're, you know, is it for medication? He goes, why are you here? I just fell apart. I just started crying. And in the middle, but not like not like ugly crying, like just water flowing out of my eyes. And I'm answering his questions. I go, well, I have this and this all the time water flowing out of my eyes and I'm going on about you know I need to get my mammogram and I wanted to get I'm getting a new phys- I wanted to go with a DO instead of an MD this time because I'm really all about you know all this other stuff and I wanted to, to you know kind of get on the same page with somebody's on the same page with me and and then he says oh is there anything else going on and I'm like oh well I might have an ear infection he checks me he goes yes you do have an ear. He goes anything else and I kept coming up with stuff and he goes, look, he goes at me, looks at me one more time. He goes, is there anything else? And I go, um, well, we probably should talk about my middle. (laughs) And he puts his hand out in front of me, like airspace. And he's surrounding me with like these circular motions around it with my, my, my body with his hand. And he goes like air and he goes, yeah, because this isn't normal. And I normally even trigger off of the word normal, but just the fact that somebody was like, Yes. Okay. Yes. And I mean, and he goes, we're going to take care of that. And I says, I already have an appointment. I have an appointment with a psychologist. And he goes, no, you know, I think I want to start. I want to start with a full assessment and then we'll go from there. And so that was the crying part. But do I do want to say that the irritability part, you mentioned irritability. As soon as you said that, and you said it was kind of, you know, hard. Did you have shame you know, was there any shame associated with the fact that you were showing up irritable? And I know for me, I'm a positive person and that, that, that's problematic.
2: Oh, yes. There, so there was, there was a cycle of something would happen. I would snap at say my child. What's in my head at that point is anger, the irritability. It's like anger, (laughs) like the child has done something wrong. I'm correcting it. Um, there's a self-righteousness to it a few seconds later yeah that melts away (laughs) and you kind of take a step back and you just you see how you just showed up and it's just a wave of shame you're like i i don't want to give voice to like some of the the inner talk that happens there but it's like like you're a piece of crap you just snapped at that kid who was trying to give you love and you um you were checking your meetings or something like that, or you were thinking about the presentation you got to give tomorrow.
0: Mm. So what did, what did you do for the shame?
2: Well, it's still there. I think mm. there, there's a few things. I think one is I needed to lower the, I, I, had, to, I had to debug the irritability cycle. And so it's, it's still there, you know, like, like any parent, I still snap at my kids sometimes. I think there's there's two things one is debugging it so it happens less two is when it does happen repairing as fast as i can or at at least as fast as my daughter will let me And and name it and say that was me that was not you and i'm really sorry Mm -hmm. and then going deeper i think there's a lot of questions around um i'm not a mental health professional so i want to make sure i'm not using this term uh, incorrectly, but then my patterns, and then some things related to cultural upbringing, and even intergenerational trauma, that inform how I show up with that self-righteousness of like, no, children should behave this way. Mm. What you are doing is wrong, disrespectful, um, and and I have to correct it. And it's it's emotion driven, like like the way I articulated. It, it's very. It's like, it's, it's logical, like it maps my values, but in the moment it's emotionally reactive. And so I know it's wired differently in my brain and that I'm working really hard to become more aware of so that I can show up with intention.
1: Wow. Recognizing that how we parent is driven a lot um, by our past and how we were raised ourselves recognizing that is such an eye-opener like because before like I mean I I have a two and a three-year-old so I'm still very new at this and so once I realized that what I was doing and how I was reacting to my children just being kids you know how I was reacting to them just rolling around on the floor, why is that triggering to me? <laughs> because in the past, when I was younger, I was not allowed to just roll around on the floor. But recognizing that I think is is key to moving forward when you're parenting, to be such a gentler and have a gentler and kinder space. And so thank you for for sharing that. But um, I wanna go back to when you took your your leave, was there a process that went through your head? How you were going to go about this um, mental health leave of absence specifically? Were there any financial considerations, You know, professional ramifications, any family concerns? I'm sure all of this went through your head and it wasn't just a quick, let's do this. What went through your head and what was the process like?
2: So I'll start very, let's, let's talk about the administrative side of it. Yeah. So I use the short-term disability system to okay. go yeah. on mental health leave in order to qualify for that. So this is the way it worked for me. And I want to caveat this with, I am not an expert in these systems. I'm only speaking from my right. personal experience, but it was really weird. Um, first, I, I discussed with my therapist. Um, I went to a nurse practitioner via my medical system. They referred me out to a psychiatrist. So I I had notes from all the practitioners lined up. Then one day we chose a date. I just didn't show up to work and I submitted a leaves claim to short-term disability to say, um, I'm going on leave due to all these things. Here's all my notes. And then from there, was, there was some back and forth to make sure I just had all the notes in order and they understood what was going on and what my anticipate, anticipated leave length would be. So that was the administrative side of it. And it was, I wouldn't call it straightforward, but at least for, um, I don't know what influence, say my employer has over the short-term disability Administrator and what does and does not get approved.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't know how any of that works, but for me, the approval wasn't that difficult.
0: What well, you said you just didn't show up for work was that like a blindside, or did was that just that that was the day you all chose, or and why did you not? Did you let anybody know you weren't going to come and?
2: I, I did let people know. So okay, so yeah. it, it, it's it's not like I just ghosted work. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> I just wanted so, clarity because, yeah. yeah.
2: So in, ter- in terms of planning, you know, my, I talked this through with my supervisor, my team, we had things tentatively covered and how they would work. So yeah. similar to like, if I went on any other type of extended leave, like a new parent leave, um, we had all those things planned out.
0: Got it. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yes, I uh, I do not recommend just not showing up. To yeah. <laughs> um, now, you know, what I oh, go ahead.
0: Did you know how long you were going to do this, or what you needed, or or are you getting to that? So,
2: <laughs> I was not sure how much I would need. Some guidance I had gotten was my therapist had said, assume it's going to take four weeks just for your brain to cool down and then healing will start to happen. Oh. And I'm gonna be honest, I didn't totally believe him or I thought, you know what? I bet I can plan my way through that and speak. Oh that.
0: my gosh, there <laughs> you are again, showing up.
2: Yes, yes, same same patterns. And so I went on to leave with the Newton Chang self-healing plan. I was gonna get this done <laughs> as effectively and efficiently as possible. I had my reading list and that went for about a week. And then it became clear of like, no, you just built a different job for yourself. And oh, this is clearly not helping. And so the next week I said, we're going into full veg mode. Like I'm not planning anything. I will wake up each day, um, take, do my parenting duties and then say, what do you wanna do with the day? And that's when I could just start to reconnect with, oh, right, there's a huge world outside of this bubble of what I just called work and parenting because that's all that was left on my schedule. And so I spent time hiking. I watched a lot of TV and didn't feel guilty about it. Um, I reconnected with some old friends who knew me earlier in my professional life. And that was really, really key because they, they didn't actually offer me like they didn't verbalize hey do you remember when you were like this but just being with them was enough for me to reconnect with that's who i was in high school or that's who i was when i was like 24 like what happened to that person because those dreams Mm -hmm. are still there like all all the wants and desires and what made that person amazing and fun and interesting those things are all there like one of my favorite quotes there's a author named madeline langle and she says i am every age i've ever been Mm. and so yeah reconnecting with those people was it was like an instant portal back to that and i could say oh yeah what happened to that to that amazing guy wow so you took the leave so now we're Mm -hmm. we're
1: we're moving forward We, we kind of you kind of painted a little picture of what went on during your leave so now let's paint the picture of you returning back to work what did that look like help me understand this because what I see is did did your job change did anything change because to me it's like you took this time off but you're still returning to the same job the same stressors did anything change at that at that point for you
2: Yes. So interesting twist in the story. As I was about to come back from leave, we were matched to adopt my second daughter. Uh. And so I think we got the call from our adoption lawyer on. I think it was March 5th. And he said, do you want to apply to adopt a baby who's going to be born on March 6th? Like literally the next Uh day and my plan was well i was going to be back at work yes let's apply and see where this goes and so we applied the next day we were matched i called up my boss and i said so happy news at least for me and i know he's going to be supportive but <laughs> also he's you know juggling everything that i was doing along with my team and said we were just matched to adopt our second daughter so i'm now going on new parent leave ah I see. And so I went on new parent leave for, um, that was March, I think all the way until June. Wow. And now coming back, the way I approach things, it, it was pretty thoughtfully. I, I treated this first as like a natural experiment of, hey, our jobs are pretty complex. Like You try to define your role and your responsibilities, but- Eventually, you you step in, you lean in as a leader, and you, you just get done what needs to be done. Part of that is technical. Part of that is adaptive as you observe the needs of people or of the organization. But now you have this natural experiment, like what happens if Newton just disappears from the beginning of uh, 2022 until the middle of the year? And it gave me this really clear picture of where I was adding value and where I was just maybe showing up and trying to contribute, but it wasn't actually as high leverage. And so it gave me a clear picture of like, okay, focus your time and your energy on these key things. Cause it seems like you are best suited to do, to do those things on behalf of your organization. These other things you can ask people to own or, um, or maybe just don't do them and see what happens. And so I, I, I came with that clarity The other thing that I decided to start doing was I have this hypothesis that my ability to say no, it has less to do with what's actually being asked of me. And I'm thinking about it. My mental model is saying no is like a muscle. And so I just started thinking about how can I try to find more opportunities to exercise that muscle? Like say a hard no, like don't say maybe, don't say later, say no and so i started with all the more innocuous things like hey can we can we just meet up and chat and get to know each other and i cut out a lot of those meetings and i just said sorry i need to prioritize my well-being my family and business critical meetings so hard no and then the next layer was hey i think we might have the opportunity to collaborate can we do that and this is where it gets tricky because you know exploring and being open to emergent opportunities is is one of my key superpowers But I had to think about, if you say yes to this, you're saying no to something else. Likely some of your focus with your daughter or or something that really matters. So then I started saying no to more of those things. And then I think the really hard one that I'm still trying to figure out is when there's a key project that needs to be done, don't raise your hand. Like. Yeah, you, you could seize that opportunity, but so could many other people in the organization. So you don't need to raise your hand for all of those because those are the really hard ones for me because I want to contribute. I want to add value. But if I sign up for something huge, again, that's a huge chunk away from, you know, not just my, my first daughter, but now two daughters, mm-hmm. especially in these key times. They're, they're now nine months and they're five. And so I'm, I'm doing these things to like purposely shackle myself and I'm, you could question how well of a job I'm doing on that because I'm on the one hand, I think I've, I've put harder boundaries on my job, but now I have these, uh, emergent opportunities to speak about mental health like this one. Right. And I see the value this is adding. And so it's, it's an ongoing process. Like it, it's not fixed. But I am much more aware of the potential downsides if I don't make hard choices.
0: So just like some really rapid fire question here, <laughs> two things, two concepts. I'm going to move fast because I know our time is limited. But while you were on your mental health leave and, and you um, stopped trying to orchestrate, you stopped making a job out of your leave, you did still do, did you still do therapy and and do some some sort of re- I don't I want to say ritualistic or some sort of routines that were really about your mental health. You said hiking. I actually think that being horizontal on a sofa watching TV can be very good for you if that's not that's something that you do <laughs> to be lazy. It's just something that you know keeps you from working your mental health. So you did some of that stuff, right?
2: Yeah. What did it look I'll, like? I'll say there was there was still the exercise, there was hiking, exploring There was a horizontal on the sofa watching TV. (laughs) As a daily practice, I tried to meditate first, just to clear my mind. And then I would try to journal and I didn't nail it every day, but I tried to make it a practice where I'd say, I'd give myself some structure. Um, the one that I really like is there's a woman named Byron Katie who wrote, uh, she has this process. She just calls it the work and it's for debugging negative thought patterns. And so if I'm having a negative thought, like I wake up someday and I feel overwhelmed and I've just told myself, this is gonna be a rough day, I'm gonna show up as an irritable father. You I, you start that with that as a thought, I grab that and I write it down on a piece of paper. And then the questions are first, is it true? The second question is, do you have evid- evidence that is absolutely true? So you're kind of pressure testing, what was your answer mm-hmm. number one? Um, Question three is, when you have this thought, who are you? So if I'm holding on to that thought, like, how am I going to show up? And then question four is, without that thought, who are you? So if I can put that aside and say, how would you show up if you were able to put that aside? And so I would go through that process with maybe three to four negative thoughts per day. And, as I did that, it helped me build a little bit more real-time reflection about whether are the negative thoughts that are showing up and turning into anxiety, whether they were real or not,
0: right. And then the other thing that I wanted to kind of follow up with is, did you know you were going back from the beginning, and you or did you ever question whether you would be able to go back? Because, I mean, I'm thinking about some of our listeners here, and we have people who have spent their life becoming physicians and researchers and dentists and nurses. And, you know, it's, it's a huge thing to walk away from. Um, I think that you're such an example of how getting taking care of yourself, you didn't have to walk away from it. And sometimes it doesn't take, yours probably wouldn't have taken six months because you, you had the added part of per- parental leave. But, um, I mean, what would you say to that?
2: So for me, I like there's a, a decision-making framework. There's a guy named Derek Sivers who he founded a old website called CD Baby, which used to be the largest independent CD seller in, I think, in the world. Um, since then, he's gone on to do a lot of public speaking, coaching of entrepreneurs. And his test is, it's, it's simply, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Wow. So if I thought about going back to my job and said, is it a hell yes? Like, I love my job. I love the people we work with. Um, I love the aspirations that we're driving towards. It's a hell yes for me. And not to say it's going to be easy or not to say I'm coming out of this leave and I'm not scared because I could slide back into old patterns. But it's a hell yes. Like, I'm going to go back in there. I'm going to fight and I'm going to figure this out. So that's what the process was like for me.
0: I love that. I actually love that as a final word. It's either a hell yes or a hell no. I love that.
2: Hell is like a PG, PG thirteen. So I think. Yes.
0: (laughs) Anna, do you have anything else for um, Newton before we finish? I
1: don't. I just really, really, I'm so appreciative of you coming to our show here and sharing your story. I, I. Julie was talking to me about about you and your story, and I was so excited to hear it from you. And um, thank you, thank you for sharing your story.
0: Yeah, thank you. I'm just going to uh, finish this out here and just tell our listeners that um, if you're inspired through this conversation to seek assistance for your own mental health, we want you to call us at 713-500-3327. And our confidential team will direct you to the faculty or staff representative who can help you. You can reach us 24-7-365. And for other well-being resources, please send Anna and me an email at wellness at uth.tmc.edu and we will help you connect the dots to the best resources for you. And also remember that your dependents can use these services as well. So don't forget that EAP is available, not just to you as an employee, faculty or researcher, fellows and residents, but also to your dependents. Um, Newton, you're a blessing. Uh, So good to know you. I hope that we can stay in touch on LinkedIn and um, look forward to continuing our relationship. You have friends at UT Health Houston.
2: Thank you for having me, it's, it's been awesome.
0: Thank you so much, you take care.